Good morning. Y'all still awake? Are you sure? Doesn't sound like it to me. Congratulations to the graduates. That's awesome. I remember my graduation, and I won't tell you how many years ago it was. Although it was more years than my wife's. <coughs> but just by one. It's good to be here. It's good to be back with you. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I think they wanted me to preach a really short sermon because they gave me a really long passage. So um, we're going to have some... F- I, I hope that we're going to have some fun this morning. Um, the, the, the section in Acts that we want to take a look at really is world-changing. The world changed in Acts chapter 10. And it, it, it's so cool and so exciting. But I want us to think about one thing in particular, and, and we'll go through this all and, and we'll take it apart and look at it. But there's one question that I want you to, you know what, maybe start to struggle with. Maybe start to wrestle with and to fight with and to say, how on earth, what, Ah, I don't get it. What do you do when God breaks the rules? What do you do? Well, there's a nonconformist. What do you do when God breaks the rules? Before we read, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for an opportunity to get into your word and to to celebrate together this morning. And Lord, I ask that as we spend time in your word, that you would indeed be our teacher. Father, that we would hear your voice and that that we would be willing to listen and to understand what it is that you want to say. And Lord, I ask that you would be well pleased with the responses in our hearts to your word this morning. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to do a lot of reading this morning and a little bit of commenting because it's, this is a significant passage. We're going to start in Acts chapter 10, verse 1, and we're going to finish halfway through chapter 11 because it's all the same situation. Let me ask you another question to start. In case you don't remember, I am a teacher at heart, so questions are a normal thing for me. Why was the book of Acts written? Okay, let me back up a little step. What genre of literature is the book of Acts? Sorry? Narrative, okay. It's history. It is the one book in the entire New Testament that actually is history. The Gospels are not history. The Gospels are memoirs. The Gospels are, are the disciples or those that have done some research looking back and remembering this person of Jesus. The book of Acts is written as a historical account of what Jesus continued to do, O Theophilus, if we remember back to the beginning of the book. This is a book of history. Why is history written? 
What is the chief and primary reason why history is written? Is it written to teach us morals? No. It's written to inform. It's written to give us information about what happened. That's why history is written. It's up to us to take a look at it and say, okay, what can I take away? See, this is very different, for example, than the book of Ephesians that we just read from, the book of Philippians, Corinthians, Romans, etc., etc. Those are all written to teach. Acts is not written to teach. It's written to inform, to give us information. There's a key question when you read the book of Acts, and I realized that, you know, maybe I should have talked about this last time I was here at the start of the book of Acts. But there's a key question to ask yourself as you go through the, through the book of Acts. What should be normative? What should be normal? And what was unique to this context? Those things that are unique to the context, leave in the context. Leave it there. It's where it belongs, in history. But there are things that we can take from history and we can learn from history. History is not written in order to give us good morals or whatever. It's written so that we can maybe not repeat the same things that someone screwed up with back in the day or things that God did that worked well that we can learn from. So ask yourself as you read the book of Acts, is this normative or is this really unique to first century Christianity? Those are important questions. Now there was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius. We're going to talk about Cornelius. And this is kind of fun when I, it suddenly dawned on me last night. Some, some, some weeks I'm a little thicker than others. Here I am, I get to preach about Cornelius. Who is Cornelius? He's a Roman centurion. Where do we live? Where, where, where do you live? I don't. Where do you live? Wainwright. What does Wainwright house? A Canadian Forces base. Go figure. We get to talk about a soldier in Wainwright, Alberta. That's cool. Cornelius was a centurion. Centurion is, if we take the equivalency, I did some checking out, if we take the equivalency of the Roman centurion to the Canadian military today, his rank is at about a captaincy. So he's about at a captain's level as far as authority and command and however many steps he's moved up since he was a grunt carrying his pack. However, in Roman times, that meant his salary was about five times what the average grunt made. So he's wealthy. He's influential. He's a significant person. I'm going to start reading again at verse 1, and we're going to read through and uh, maybe make a few comments along the way, and then we're going to come back and see some takeaways. Not application points necessarily, because I don't know where you're at today. But I want us to have some takeaways to say, hmm, maybe, maybe this is what God is asking of me, or maybe this is where I need to do some mental adjusting. Now, there was a man of Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man, and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. 
About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius. And fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, Yes? Well, imagine, you're sitting having your quiet time. This is about three o'clock in the afternoon. You know, you're having your coffee and you've, you've opened your Bible and suddenly there's this glowing person standing and calls your name. What are you going to do? Head to the bathroom or, or head to the bedroom to change your drawers or something. It's like, ah, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa. Notice the military terminology. He didn't say send some. Dispatch some men to Joppa. And send for a man named Simon who was called Peter. He's staying with a tanner named Simon whose house is by the sea. Whose house is by the sea was probably a little bit redundant because tanner's houses stunk. If you've ever done any curing of leather or curing of animal hides, you know it is a very aromatic process and not in very pleasant aromas. So imagine doing it as your livelihood. There weren't a whole lot of neighbors, shall we say. They were the ones on the outside of the town. Simon, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who was speaking to him had left, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were his personal attendants. And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. By the way, Joppa is about 50 kilometers from Caesarea. So we're talking from here to Kinsella. Okay? These guys are walking. I checked with Google Maps. It'll take you about 11 hours, according to Google Maps, to walk from here to Kinsella, 50K. That's about how far they had to go. Just to kind of put this into some real <clears throat> shoe leather for where we live. On the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. But he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance, and he saw the sky opened up and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Get up, Peter. Lunch is ready. Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time, What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. This happened three times. Sometimes it took a while to get through to Peter. Remember, he's a fisherman, not a scholar. Three times this happened to Peter. And immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Now while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as, as to what the vision was which he might have seen, Behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. So here's Peter up on the roof. They had flat roofs. It served as an extra room, particularly during the summer. Build a little shelter up there, whatever. It's an extra space. So there's some privacy up there. So there's Peter up in his prayer closet, so to speak. He's having his quiet time. He's seen this vision. And suddenly there's a knock at the door. 
and it's the servants of Cornelius. They are calling out and they asked whether Simon, who was called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was reflecting on the vision, struggling to figure out, Lord, what on earth does this mean? I don't get it. I, you, you gave us the food laws. You, 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 mm, I don't understand. What do you, why? God, huh? Do you ever have moments like that when you just can't put the pieces together? It's like you're trying to put a puzzle together, but somebody has taken five puzzles together, put them all into one box, and it's not even the right box for any of the puzzles. And you're looking at the picture, and you're looking at the pieces and going, this doesn't fit. This doesn't make sense. I can't get it. That's where Peter was at this moment. He's trying to figure this out, and it's not making any sense. While Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. But get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. See, Peter hadn't put it together yet. God had to tell him, Okay, Peter, there's guys looking for you. It's okay. It's okay. I sent them. You go with them. Okay. Peter went down to the men and said, It's me. Behold, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for which you have come? What can I do you for? You're here looking for me. I'm the guy. What do you want? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you, to come to his house and to hear a message from you. So he invited them in. Peter invited them in, gave them lodging. They stayed the night. And on the next day, he got up and went away with them. And some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. On the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now, Cornelius was waiting for them. And had called together all his relatives, his close friends. I mean, this is a houseful. This is, this is packed. This is a lot of people there. When Peter, Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter said, wait, 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 hold on. Raised him up and said, stand up, I'm just a guy. I'm just a man, I, I, I'm, I'm no God. I'm just a man. As he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew, a.k.a. me, to associate with a foreigner or to visit with him, a.k.a. you lot. It's, yeah. It's against all the rules. It's unthinkable. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. Ooh, Peter's starting to get it. It's starting to, maybe a good 11-hour walk is what we need sometimes to settle some things in our brains. It's starting to penetrate. God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean, and that is why I came without even raising an objection when I was sent for. So what do you want? He didn't even know why they called him yet. The servants had said, to receive a message from you. Okay, well, that's nice. What do you want? You see that? 
I, I'm not making that up. It's right here. So I ask, for what reason have you sent me? So you've got the Orban's version or the New American Standard Bible. For what reason hast thou called me? We can even put it in the King James. What do you want? I'm here. I'm not supposed to. I shouldn't be. But God told me to come, so I came. So what can I do for you? Cornelius said, four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. You were wondering where I got that shining from, weren't you? <laughs> a man stood before me in shining garments, and he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here, present before God, to hear what you have to say to us. Is that what it says? What does it say? Ooh, we are here to hear what you have been commanded to tell us by the Lord. Remember that, we'll come back to it. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee, after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all the things that he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. Can you imagine <coughs> Cornelius at that point? Yeah, that, that was us. Sorry. I mean, he's the Roman centurion. Yeah, that was us. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and to solemnly to testify that this is the one who had been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. And, and Peter is going on, and he's preaching, and he's, he's, well, maybe he's getting as far as his introduction. While Peter was still speaking these words, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit, just as we did, can he? 
and he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. Now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. And when Peter came to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took issue with him. Peter, what the... Sam Hill, are you doing? Are you nuts? Well, <sighs> Peter... You went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. But Peter began and proceeded to explain to them in orderly sequence, saying, and he recounts the story. I was in the city of Jaffa praying and in a trance he tells them about his vision. He tells them about the servants coming. And about going to Cornelius and finding out the vision that Cornelius had had of this, these angels. And he tells them that I began to, to, to speak and, and, and I didn't even finish the sermon. And the Holy Spirit fell on them and they were glorifying God and speaking in tongues. Verse 17. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he has given to us, after also believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I? that I could stand in God's way. When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, well, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. The earth shifted that day. At least if you were a Jew, it certainly changed. Let's take a look back and just see some of the things that we want to note as we think about this entire event in the history of the church, in the history of Christianity. If this day hadn't happened, folks, you and I wouldn't be here today. Think about that. God broke all the rules. He did the unthinkable. You know, Acts is a really, really cool book. You start with Jesus being raised back up into heaven and the disciples in Jerusalem. And what, what's the key verse for all of Acts? Do you remember? And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the unspeakable ones, and into the rest of the world, to the very ends of the earth. Guess what? That's us. Ah. That's us, the very ends of the earth. Anybody who isn't Jewish, the ends of the earth. You'll start in Jerusalem. We saw that. The Holy Spirit fell on the believers. We saw it slowly expanding through the region of Judea. And then Philip goes to Samaria. Wow. Samaritans are hated. You've got to remember that, right? Samaritans are a half-breed. They're not Gentile. They're not Jewish. They're a, uh, an, an, an abomination to the Jews. They had their own places to worship. They recognized God, but they had their own places to worship and their own things. And they were just, oh, they were hated. But then you have this other group over there that we don't even think about. They're the unthinkable ones. We've already done Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And now 
We've done us. We've done our families. We've done the ones that we hate. And now God is bringing in the ones that they never even considered. They, they, they were unthinkable. Why, Gentile? I don't think so. They're, they're somewhere out there. If they want to come to God, they can become a Jew. That was the system. If you want to worship God, you can come to our temple, but you've got to be circumcised. You've got to ascribe to all of our laws. You've got to become as much of a Jew as you can without being born to a Jewish mom and dad. That's actually why God gave them such a distinct, one of the reasons why God gave them such a distinct form of worship was so that they would stick out and show that their God was the real God and that people would be attracted to the nation of Israel and be attracted to Yahweh, the God of creation. Instead, the Jews built walls around it and said, "Mm, let's keep us in and them out. That was never the design. The design was to say, look at our God. Come join us. I find it interesting. First thing that we, I want to notice. Cornelius was given a vision. And Peter was given a vision. When we were in Ukraine, we were at a church and there was a pastor there who wasn't doing anything bad or wrong. It's just the way he would preach regularly on a Sunday, there were some issues that that I really would have loved to see him learn and grow and progress in. And I'd heard other preachers that had talked with him about it, and, and they would suggest these things, and he, no, no, my people won't listen if I do that. Okay, fine. I really, really wanted to talk with him about it, but God said, nah, I want you to pray about it. I want you to pray about this person. I want you to pray for him. I want you to pray, and that's it. One year, it was the first service in the new year. We're in church, and the service had ended, and it was like God put his hand on his shoulder and said, go now, talk with him. Okay. So I went up to him, and I says, Pastor, what do you think? See, what he'd been doing before is, is every time he'd preach, he'd preach from somewhere else. It was just picking his favorite topics and favorite things and it was all over the place. So I went up and I said, Pastor, what do you think about preaching a series? What do you think about preaching through a book of the Bible? I don't think I'll ever forget his answer because he looked at me and he said, I don't know how. Will you teach me? God had to get me ready for the commitment that I would make that day. For the next eight years, I met with that man once a week. He grew to be my best friend in Ukraine. He was my pastor. I was his mentor. And we spent so much time together as we talked and we fellowshiped and we grew and we preached through the book of Acts and we preached through many books together. 
God had to get me ready for my part in his growth, which was also a massive part of my own growth. Paul gives, uh, sorry, Paul. God gives this vision to Cornelius and says, I, I know you, Cornelius, and I have some cool things to say. So send to Joppa for a man named Simon, who's also called Peter. He's got a message from me for you. Okay. So he sends his guys. Peter is oblivious to this. The next day, did you see that? (coughs) Excuse me. The next day, on verse 9, on the next day, as the servants were on their way, God gives a vision to Peter. The vision didn't come at the same time, but they were prepping for the right moment, for that exact time. God prepared both parties for what he wanted to say. We paused and we saw that it was God's message that Peter was to give. Not Peter's thoughts, not Peter's ideas, but God's message. And God had to prepare both the recipient and the deliverer, the one who would give the message, in order that it would come together and and accomplish what God wanted to. Folks, there's a whole lot of times that we have an idea of what needs to be said or what needs to be done, and we just rush right in because I know that you need to hear this. I've seen people driven right out of the church because of that. New believers who have come in and have some behavioral issues as far as what God says in his word. Okay, I get that. But you know what? That's God's business. And when God wants to correct it, he will. And if he wants to use me, he'll let me know. But until then, Orban, keep your mouth shut and pray about them. All too often, we rush in with our own agendas and our own thoughts. And God, you, there, there is so much these people need to know and learn and change and do. And, 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 and. Pray about it. Step back and say, God, when the time is right, would you please show me? Rushing in to do God's will out of God's timing is as bad as not doing God's will at all. Because oftentimes we can do more damage. I know of a young lady who never returned to the church because she was driven out the week after she accepted the Lord. Because her behavior had to change in order to be part of the church. In order to be welcomed. And it was the church's agenda, not God's time. Yes, her behavior was sinful. Did she know it? No. Was God speaking? No. Was the church speaking? Yes. Sometimes our sensibilities, this is a different takeaway, by the way, this, moving on. Sometimes our sensibilities or our beliefs, customs, practices, our moral code gets in the way of what God is planning to do through us. Do you see Peter? Peter was a Jew. 
He had never eaten anything unclean. Never, no, he was concerned about that. And God said, Peter, you got to lose that because it's getting in the way. We saw that later on with the Jews in Jerusalem when Peter goes back there and they take exception. How could you do that, Peter? It's against our laws. Going into a Gentile's house was not against God's law. But it was against Jewish law. Because the Jews had added all kinds of extra laws to protect God's law. So here's God's law in the center. The things that they were not supposed to do. And then they added this level so that they would be sure not to break this one. Then they added this level so that they wouldn't break this level so that they wouldn't break this one. And then they added this level so that they wouldn't break this level so that they wouldn't break this level so that God's law is protected. It's one of those outer levels that says you shall not go into a Gentile house or eat with them or anything else because maybe in the off chance something might happen and you might come into something that's unclean. Well, guess what, folks? There were things to do if you encountered something unclean and you could cleanse yourself from that. But it was against Jewish law. And God had to get rid of that in Peter's heart and, his, and in Peter's mind. God was doing the unthinkable and he was breaking all the rules to do it. He was breaking all of the church customs, all of the church codes. How could... <laughs> a Gentile? Are you for real? What do you think? Can I get real personal today, Trish? What month is this? This isn't about Trish and I, by the way. What month is this? June. What month is that? It's Pride Month, isn't it? Think about it. Those that are unthinkable to our church culture those that we demand make changes before they ever are welcomed into the door of our buildings. Something to think about. Peter obeyed without full understanding. He got there, you remember that? He got there and said, okay, I've broken all my laws. <laughs> I've done what God told me to do. Remember, it's God that directed him, not his own wishes not his own desires. If you're going to start breaking rules, make sure it's God that's telling you to and not just something that you think is really cool that you've managed to conjure up an image of God that has said that. Peter gets there and says, okay, I'm here. What do you want? We want God's message. We want God's word. Cool. God's message, not Peter's. That's the important part. Do you know, there's another thing that I find really funny. As a preacher, it would be really annoying, but I find it really amusing when I'm reading it. Peter didn't even get to finish his sermon. Peter didn't even get to give the altar call. Peter didn't give them, Peter didn't even get a chance to give them the opportunity to make the choice. Do you see that? While he was still speaking, verse 44 says of chapter 10, while he was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on all who were listening. No altar call. 
no chance to come to the front and to kneel and to ask Jesus into your heart. No chance to pray the sinner's prayer. I know I'm picking on all kinds of things today. But we have built up a lot of these things that we think mean coming to Christ. When coming to Christ is a change that God makes in our hearts. And in the middle of the service, God changed their hearts with the coming of the Holy Spirit. They were ready for that. They didn't need an altar call. You know what, when you think about it, an altar call is really just an opportunity for somebody to say, this is what God has done in my heart today during the service. No invitation, no sinner's prayer, no... They were devout people who wanted to know about God. And God said, I've got a message. Peter, go. This is very unique. Because when the Samaritans became Christians, Philip converted them. Philip was able to bring them into the church. And he went back to Jerusalem. And they said, well, we better send Peter and John to see what on earth is going on. And so Peter and John go. Have you received the Holy Spirit? No, let me pray for you. And they prayed that the Holy Spirit would come upon the Samaritans. And the Holy Spirit did. God did this clearly without even Peter thinking about it. Because it was unthinkable. God is the one who changes hearts and changes lives. That's why they wanted God's word. Not Peter's message. And in the midst of God giving his word through Peter. Wow. The world changed. For you and for me. Because it paved the way for us to get to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Before then, it was a Jewish thing. How do we react when God does the unthinkable? It took Peter three times with the sheet and then some direct instructions. Peter, go with these guys. Okay. And eventually it sunk through. Oh. God doesn't care. He is no respecter of persons. He loves you as you are today. We, we're sometimes twisted in our Christianity, aren't we? Come and get yourself ready, prepared before God so that you're acceptable to Him. You and I can never be acceptable to him out of our own efforts. Before or after salvation, it's Christ in us. And God loves us when we're the biggest mess we could ever be. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Hmm. What's our response? The Jews... At Jerusalem, ooh, they took exception. Peter, that was an absolute no. Peter said, I know, I know, I know. Let me tell you what happened. And sometimes we fall into the trap of even after listening to what God has done, we still say, you know what? I don't think so. But full credit to the Jews at Jerusalem. They heard what God did. They heard that God did the unthinkable. And so they said, hey, if God wants the Gentiles in his church, that's his business. We'll praise him. Cool. 
welcome. Full credit to the Jews in Jerusalem. When they heard the Jewish leaders, probably including Jesus' own brother, the guy who wrote the book of James, they said, okay, we'll accept that. When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also repentance that leads to life. I don't know what God is, is speaking into your heart about this morning. I know that there's so many takeaways from this passage. So many things that we can learn as we see how God changed Peter's perspective, the established church's perspective, how God changed those he would accept seemingly to include those he had always intended. Always intended. You remember Genesis chapter 12? Abraham, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you, through your seed, Jesus the Christ. All the nations, not just the one that I'm going to make through you. What do we do when God breaks the rules? What do we do when, when let, let, me, let me change that. Let me be a little more specific. What do we do when God breaks our rules? What do we do when God does the unthinkable? Are we prepared to have him walk with us through that process. The choice is ours. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your gift of life. And thank you that we are included in that. And that we always were. Father, thank you for doing everything that it took to bring about our welcome into the church of Jesus Christ. Lord, may we never lose sight of the fact that you are God and that you have given us this so amazing gift. May we never take it for granted. And Lord, sometimes in our lives, <laughs> I don't understand what you're doing all the time. Please help us to be patient, to wait for your word and to watch what you're doing and to follow your path, your directions. Help us to be obedient to you in your time, not in ours. Father, for each one in this room and those listening and watching online, I ask for your continued work in your hearts. Father, may your words burn deep into our souls and bring about the results that you want. And Father, if some of these have been my words, I ask that they would quickly be forgotten. And may you be glorified in all. In Jesus' name, amen.